Texas Pete is taking its flavor on the road with convenient, easy-to-enjoy portion control packets. Whether it's a Texas Pete dip cup or sauce packet, your customers will be able to enjoy bold flavor for a better on-the-go dining experience. Anywhere, anytime. Ask your broker for the number one portion control hot sauce or visit TexasPeteFoodService.com for more information. Off to a rip-roaring start. <laughs> Did you like my Arby's reference? <laughs> That was the one RB shout out in this meat themed episode. <laughs> yeah. How can you have a meat themed episode without Arby's? I mean, true. That's onesie is enough to talk about Arby's, but we're we've not already talking addressed. about Arby's. Yeah. We've, we've already addressed, addressed the onesie. Yeah. Um, I did not go to Texas Roadhouse this week for follow up for our dear listeners who follow our show. I did not go to Texas Roadhouse. Then you I fail. cooked a lot. I cooked a lot. I feel like that was like a big, important thing to cook. No, that's sure. like. That's totally contrary to what we stand for, Holly. We are a restaurant podcast, <laughs> and cooking is the antithesis of that. But I did go to my very first thrive- drive-through last week after the podcast. <sighs> okay. I just have to center myself for this conversation. <laughs> how did it How did it go, Holly? How was your first drive-through experience what as a 29-year-old? I did not think it was very efficient. I do not get it. Why? Because you, so you order at the thing, fine. I get that. I had to yell, didn't love that. Then you drive through. By the way, I was not driving. I just want to point that out. I do not know how to drive. So that's why you had to yell. You're yelling over your parent. You're in the front seat. You're yelling what you want. (laughs) There's where you first went wrong. Just heads up. Okay, continue. Second, we get to the window to pick up, to pay and pick up the food. So you pay, and then you just sit at the same window waiting for them to bring out the food. Like, I was just sitting there for like two minutes waiting for nothing. Holly, two what did you minutes. think? What did you think drive through was? I thought like that they would just have it ready by the time you got to the window. Well, in some instances they do, but depends on if it was like a lunch rush, dinner rush, or, you know, how many cars are in the line, things like that. We but were the only do... car in line. Okay. So now let me ask you this. Was it the same amount of time you would have waited if you were standing inside the restaurant? So here's the thing. That's a yes. We were at a Taco Bell. Of course, naturally. I have never eaten food directly from the Taco Bell itself. I've only done delivery. So this was also my first time eating Taco Bell hot, which was a really great experience. You've also like definitely, you've never only waited two minutes for your Taco Bell. Like, or if ordering to getting your food was two minutes, but if you're sitting at home, even though you live like a block from the Taco Bell, if you order it on the app or whatever, however you order it, like, and then you wait for it to come, like, it takes longer than two minutes, Holly. But I was just sitting there staring at an empty window. It felt kind of weird. But you had, you were in the comfort of your own car, listening to whatever music or podcast you wanted to, having conversation with whoever was in the car with you. You can roll up the windows and enjoy your experience rather than standing inside a restaurant where it could be people you don't want to talk to or it's noisy or smelly or whatever. Smelly? Let's not talk about restaurants like that, Sam. My point is you are in the comfort of your car. And remember, drive through is primarily a convenience tool that if you are going from point A to point B and you needed food on that journey, it is there for you. I do feel like I don't... 
I, I, like, people wouldn't believe Holly existed unless <laughs> we like had to explain her to people. It's just you are such a uh, uh, anomaly of Americans, which I mean, my hat off to you because you could go this long without going through a drive-through. I mean, that's truly impressive to be honest, but um, this is a very unique conversation that not many people get to have. So somebody thank you. <laughs> call the Guinness book of world records and find out the oldest person to go through the drive through for the first time. <laughs> this just, it blows my mind. It's amazing to me. And it's amazing to me. You do what you do for a living and that you, you know, have been doing this for what, five years or something. And you just went through a drive through for the first time. I live in New York city. I don't own a car. I went to school in Chicago. I have not driven. I do not know how to drive. It's not, so how would I drive into a drive-thru? You were raised I mean, in the suburbs, weren't you? Yeah, but we had yes. to drive 20 minutes to get to this Taco Bell. It's not like it was close by. Like there were no like drive-thrus where I lived. We just well, I was also an only child which might've had something to do with it. Like they were yeah. trying to go from like Holly's school to somebody else's dance practice to someone else's baseball True. game, which is our family was hitting the drive-thru between all those points, but mm. we had three kids. Yep, same. So maybe that's it. And I know Sam has two kids and three sisters, so. Lots of people to feed and lots of miles to be driven. Yes. Yeah. And frankly, I mean, the convenience is nice. As we all know, I'm a big fan of Chick-fil-A because there's a drive-thru right around the corner from my house. And it just is so much easier than parking, walking inside. Uh, Anyway, look, we don't have to explain the merits of drive-thru to our audience Let's just all take a moment to appreciate how unique Holly is and welcome her to the community of drive-through experienced people, which congratulations, Holly, you've made it. I will say that I think that the Chick-fil-A mobile order drive-through is much smarter where you just, you place your mobile order, you drive through and you pick up the order when it's done. I think that's much smarter. Just saying. Yeah. Drive-through innovation. That's what, that's why everybody's going I, that direction. I think that's, that's, that's what, what I would do. But, but how many people are getting drive through on a whim? How many people, it's just like spur of the moment, I'm hungry, ooh, there's a Chick-fil-A, let's go there. Or they're on a road trip, they're looking for, you know, drive through whatever. You know, mobile order ahead, unfortunately, takes some forethought to order ahead. So that's where, that's why Chipotle doesn't do, you know, with a tr- traditional speaker box, a lot of the fast casuals don't do the traditional speaker box mm-hmm. because if you do that way, then you're in the line, you're waiting, and they want as much time as possible to prepare your food. And yeah. drive through is not about waiting; it is about go, go, go. Um, so, anyway, now you know. Now I know. The I have a lot of know. thoughts about drive through, but well, oh, I was—that's not the reference I was thinking of, but okay. I, I thought a Hamilton reference was the first thing my mind went to. Yours is probably better. <laughs> Mine's a little bit more current than yours. Yeah, I was going for the 90s kid reference. I, I, I got it. I am still a 90s kid. I did get it. Great. Cool. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about self-cultivated meat. Okay. We're just going to go from one thing to another. Uh, this is kind of a weird story to me. I was talking about this with <laughs> Joanna, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about self-cultivated meat. I, I'm undecided. So the story goes that self-cultivated meat, chicken specifically, was approved for sale in the U.S. by the USDA and the FDA. It needed both branches to agree. Um, and that was just granted last week. Two different brands were granted the approval to start selling in the U.S. 
Almost immediately after, uh, Dominique Crenn and Jose Andres started selling this chicken in their restaurants. Dominique Crenn has taken away meat in her restaurants for the past few years. So that's notable. But um, this is, I just think that cell cultivated meat is kind of creeping me out a little bit. Like that's my, that's my personal opinion on it. I know it's like smart and like technologically advanced and, and I don't know. I don't, I have to try it. I don't know how I feel about it. What are your thoughts guys? Yeah, go ahead, Leanne. I I think I'm a bit of a weird one sometimes because all I'm looking for in a meal is food that tastes good and doesn't make me sick. Those are if if those two things happen, then like I'm a happy camper. Um, and so for me, whether something is meats or not meat or plant based meat or chicken or beef or whatever, like if it tastes good and if I don't get sick from it, then like jackpot. Um, I'm a happy girl. And so I think it's great that there are options. I think it's great that so many plant-based options came out a few years ago. I think it's great that cell cultivated meat exists and that we're figuring it out and making technological progress and that more people have more options because I'm not saying it's wrong to have stronger opinions than I have. Um, you know, if people have their preferences, people don't eat meat. Um, if people only eat quote unquote real meat, like, great, good for you. And I think it's great that as an industry, we're moving toward giving people more options and creating new and different kinds of meats. Um, so yeah, I think it's great for me personally, I'm really pretty neutral. I would love to try it um, because I like to try new things both for myself and like obviously for the job. Um, so I'm excited to seek that out at some point. Uh, but as a whole, I'm like pretty neutral on the whole thing. Like it probably, it probably tastes good. And I'm confident that especially in the hands of these two chefs, it will not make me sick. So <laughs> that's pretty much my whole opinion. I don't have strong feelings on this story either way, but I'm thrilled for the industry that there is another, you know, progression. Well, I love your low bar, Leanne. So long Thank as it doesn't make so me sick. much. And it tastes good. That's <laughs> See, that's where I run True. into more problems. I eat more things that don't taste good to me than things that make me sick. So just for the record. Fair point. Fair point. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 the big picture for cell-cultivated meat, the long-term goal of cell-cultivated meat is to be better for the planet. Because if we can cultivate meat from cells, then we can have less reliance on animals. If we can have less reliance on animals, we can not have to have so many daggone cows putting methane into our uh, world. So that's the long-term goal, right? Um, but you know, I guess I'm skeptical um, just because that is a big, big undertaking. There are many, many years worth of innovation left to go before this could ever become something that is a global practice. Um, and if you do need uh, technological savvy and labs to do this, that will require a lot of money and investment. And so so not only just scale, but a cost of goods is, is going to be prohibitive because it's just like, it seems to me like this is going to be really expensive to produce this just because of the technology required to do so. So you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is like a 20, 30, 40 year uh, endeavor to scale cell cultivated meat 
to get it to a point where it costs about the same as regular meat and for it to make any kind of dent in the um, real meat market. Um, and, and obviously, in order to do so, it has to taste good. So this is a major step, no doubt. And it's worth us talking about because um, I think everybody needs to be aware of these developments and know what's around the corner just because... Um, I, it, you know, vegetarians, I, I, you know, I believe people who choose to be a vegetarian that will continue to grow. Uh, randomly, I have a 13 year old nephew who has been a vegetarian now for, I think, two years, and he's very committed to it. And uh, we recently had a family reunion and discovered that my eight year old nephew, who is not my other nephew's brother, but cousin, um, because of his cousin being a vegetarian, also decided to be a vegetarian. And my eight-year-old nephew is like the, you know, jock, tough kid, you know, all these things. And he is choosing to be vegetarian. I, I say this example because as I talked to him about it over the July 4th, um, I just realized, oh, my gosh, like younger generations, this is going to be so normal to them. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, a vegetarian was like an alien. It was like, you <laughs> don't eat meat? Who are you? I mean, it was like such a small subset of people. And now we've got eight-year-olds choosing to be vegetarians for crying out loud. And I say that because it's, I, I just, I do believe as we move forward into the future, um, younger generations will be more committed to what's better for the planet and what's better for my body. And that will be a route they take. Now, I have sort of an ethical question around, does it count to be a vegetarian if you eat cell-cultivated meat? I mean, I think if you choose cell-cultivated meat, then you're probably more in the camp that doesn't want to do harm to animals because this doesn't. But at the same time, you're eating meat. It is just created differently. So that's a whole other thing to think about. But um, the final point I'll make on this is, do you remember when crickets were like a thing for a hot sec? Do you remember when everybody's like, we're all going to eat crickets forever because of the planet? How long did that last? That did not last very long. I mean, it still kind of pops up here and there. And, you know, people use crickets as a novelty. I am inclined to think cell-cultivated meat will go that route. Um, just because crickets are basically free, y'all. Like, we could use crickets. We could just collect them in the environment and not make them in labs and it'd be fine, right? But we're choosing to develop very fancy cell-cultivated meat that's very expensive instead. Uh, so I guess that's where I'm at with all this. Um, I will eat it if it is put in front of me. I will try it for sure. I will not spend any more on my meat than is necessary to get meat. I'm, I am a proud carnivore. Um, however, I too want the best for the planet. So if this can make a dent in that, then great. But um, count me among the continued carnivores. <laughs> I just want to throw out there that I've eaten crickets exactly once at a Jose Andres restaurant in DC. Hey, and I hope go. to God that he did not just go collect the crickets from the sidewalks. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not how you get the crickets that you serve in a restaurant? I should have asked more questions that day. <laughs> Beans where they have like little farms and like they like grow them up. Like I'm how sure. you get honey. Like I think there's like a kind of like a cricket farm. Well, there must be standards, right? You must, there must be standards for how to raise crickets and I serve crickets and so. kill crickets. <laughs> I don't know. Are they like lobsters where they don't feel pain so you can kill them however you want and it's like no uh, big deal? Lobsters definitely feel pain. Well, no, when you, oh, I guess when you just drop into the pot of boiling water, they die instantly or something like that, right? <laughs> I mean, like, if you want to talk about twisted about things that we do around food, like, the what we do to lobsters is per probably the most twisted. I 
going to be a vegetarian by the time this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that we're saying, now that we mention it, yeah, I'm going to talk my way out of this. Ignorance is bliss, Leanne. Ignorance is bliss. I exactly. So let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I became a vegetarian almost 20 years ago, it was really rare. Like people were made fun of me a lot. And then I stopped being a vegetarian when I started working here. So naturally the past five years I've eaten a decent amount of meat, but I still don't love meat. Like I'm not, I love seafood. So like count me in for the lobsters, even if they're in pain, I will eat them. All right. You, so you do support cruelty to animals then? <laughs> well, apparently <laughs> one of our coworkers was telling me that plants can feel pain. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> no, apparently it's a real thing. That plants can feel pain. There's like new research that plants can feel pain too. But do they have consciousness? But I think that's what they're learning is that like maybe plants do have a consciousness because we don't know enough about plants. Sam is <laughs> This conversation is making Sam feel pain. Uh, yeah, this is uh, uh, quite an ethical conversation we could have all around this stuff. But um <laughs> I will happily gnaw on plants regardless of the pain it gives them because they're food for crying out loud. Do you eat a lot of vegetables? They taste good and they don't make you sick. Yeah. Sometimes they do. Yeah. That's okay. Also true. E. coli, what have you? Yeah. Chipotle learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> So anyway, is that a All good right. segue? Feels like a segue into the next thing. Feels yeah. like it's a segue into Subway, segue. right? It needs to be a segue to Subway. Just let's do it. We want to talk about Subway's controversies as well. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> nope. Let's talk about their opportunities. Yeah, we so, go. so Subway is in the middle of what could be a possible sale. It still has all these suitors. Hasn't committed to anything. We don't really know what's up with Subway. They will not comment. But what they are commenting on is their new revamp. They've been working on it for a few years. Um, this is phase three. Uh, phase two last year included the Subway series menu where they moved away from customization, like I mentioned earlier, into this new, I want the one, the two, the three kind of deal. Um, and so this next innovation is meat slicers. At 20,000 of their US restaurants, they introduced meat slicers. Um, apparently they don't take any more time to train any more staff. They didn't cost anything because they gave it to the franchisees. Um, so it wasn't like as heavy on the franchisees, which are already kind of stretched thin. Um, but it's supposed to turn around the restaurant and make it a little bit more artisanal. Uh, so there's that. And they're also launching a few new sandwiches with these sliced, freshly sliced meats versus pre-sliced meats. Um, so. This is all amid a possible sale. Are they trying to make themselves look even better for a sale? They've been in this revamp for a few years. They're trying to turn things around. I mean, what do you guys think? Um, <laughs> uh, deep sigh. Uh, listen, <laughs> Subway, let's just step back and say Subway has uh, shrunk its footprint by about 6,000 locations in the last five years. Um, which is a entire chain's worth of locations. But a drop um, in the bucket. For them, a drop in the bucket. They're now down to about 20,500, something like that. 
uh, year end 22, according to our top 500. Go check it out at nrn.com. Um, and so Subway has had better times for sure. They peaked at about 27,000 locations and then they hit a rough patch. And um, there's a number of reasons for this. Um, I would suggest that one reason for this rough patch is it really started shortly after the death of Fred DeLuca, their founder, who uh, was, you know, he was kind of their North Star. I mean, this guy was everything to Subway for 50 years. Um, and it feels a little bit like the rudderless now since his passing. But the other thing that's happened in the last five, six years is Subway got competition. And those competitors are in particular are Jersey Mike's and Jimmy John's and Firehouse Subs uh, and a number of others, of course. There's uh, a whole generation of, of uh, sandwich chains, especially fast casual sandwich chains coming up. But to me, the meat slicer is a direct response to their comp competition. I mean, Jersey Mike's in particular. And if you look at Jersey Mike's, Jersey Mike's opened 300 locations last year. Uh, that was number one in the top 500. Well, not number one, in the whole industry, right? Is that's as far as sheer number of units, Jersey Mike's is number one. And that's important because um, that's after I think opening maybe 300 the year before and maybe 300 the year before that. I mean, Jersey Mike's is on a tear. They have a lot of momentum. They are a very good sandwich. Jersey Mike's is a good sandwich and it's no knock on Subway, but I just think Subway for the longest time owned this category. And all of a sudden, Jersey Mike's is there. Jimmy John's, we talked about last week on the podcast. Jimmy John's is right there. And Subway has to do something. So so th there's a theater to it, yes, uh, of sort of just feeling like you're in a more authentic deli. It feels better than just watching them just, you know, pull up the meat from the stack or whatever. You watch it, you know, get sliced. Also, just the freshness of it, I think, is is huge. Um, and now in this day and age, that's what customers are demanding and they're getting it from other chains. So Subway really had to do that. Um, but it will take a lot more than adding meat slicers to turn this around. Um, their signature series is helping, you know, uh, anything they can do to improve the relationship with their franchisees will help because it's been pretty rocky <laughs> for a long time. Um, but, but yes, on one hand, they're trying to do all these things to make them more attractive to those suitors who are, you know, potentially going to shell out $10 billion for Subway. But they also have to staunch the bleeding because you can only go so long closing 500 locations a year um, before you, you end up in Quiznos territory, speaking of another sandwich brand, which once upon a time had 5,000 plus, and I think they're at around 100 now. I mean, talk about precipitous fall. Subway wants to stop now so they don't become that. So... That's all what's at play here. Will they pull it off? Maybe. I mean, look, does Meat Slicer get you into Subway more often? I don't know. But maybe it has just a touch of quality <laughs> representation to it that gets at least a few more people into Subway a few more times. Yeah, I think Subway really needs to. And what they're trying to do here is focus on finding a brand identity. You know, for a long time, they were Subway. And like Sam said, they were the sandwich chain. Um, and then for a while, even they were, and I can't take credit for this thought. I heard Sam say it on another podcast, but they were the healthy chain for a long time. If you wanted a healthy dinner, fast food, you went to Subway. But now salad chains exist. It's its own, health, healthful is its own restaurant segment now. And so they lost that part of their brand identity. And then, like you said, there was a lot of controversy 
Fred DeLuca passed away. And now it's like, what is Subway? Who is Subway? And so I think they're really trying to do what they can to form an identity for themselves. Um, the meat slicers, they totally redid their like logo and branding a few years ago, right before they started revamping the menu. That was kind of like, it wasn't officially part of this, but it felt like kind of the first phase of a big revamp. Um, they've had some like random, interesting marketing campaigns that haven't necessarily stuck. Um, there was one summer that they went around doing pop-ups at different music festivals. Um, <clears throat> I, they've had, um, a couple of random like sports affiliations. They haven't really become like, you know, the music festival brand or anything like that, but it kind of feels like they're trying to find, it feels like they're really looking to figure out where they can stake a claim and be like the whatever brand because right now like yeah they're subway yeah they still have the most units in the u.s yeah they're the biggest sandwich chain um but like sam said there are plenty of other chains like right on their heels and subway really needs to figure out who they are and what they're doing um <clears throat> and really form an identity for themselves that's not just like where you go for a decent cookie which is what subway is to me and if you go back to the franchise part of this, you know, I, I can only imagine what their franchisees think about everything right now. I mean, they must be demanding this because their franchisees who are 10,000 strong, they're, mm -hmm. the number of franchisees, you know, they're they're watching these competitors pop up all over the place and their competitors are just a lot more formidable. I mean, the other thing to remember about Subway, and this is not a bad thing necessarily, it's just a unique strategy. I mean, Subways are primarily one, two, three, like the owners only have one, two or three locations. There, it's very much a mom and pop franchise system, uh, which contrasts with most of these other chains are not that. They are, you know, major groups own these locations. And um, that means that it just, it just means that you're up against a much more formidable competition, not only in potentially the menu and branding, but also just in the, the people behind it, the resources behind it. So um, if you have five subways in a town, and in that town, Potbelly, Jersey Mike's, Jimmy John's, Pop-Up, Firehouse Subs, there's not room for five subways anymore, right? You're down to like one or two subways that there's room for because there's so much sandwich love going around. So franchisees are, I'm sure, nervous. These, All of this is a response, I'm sure, to them asking for some change, giving them for giving these meat slices for free is a tip that like this is the same here. Please, franchisees, mm -hmm. be happy with us. Um, so it's fascinating to watch. Um, Leanne, thank you for mentioning the podcast, uh, that I, uh, guessed it on recently. If you want to know my thoughts more about Subway, I was a recently guest on business wars. Uh, you can go check out that episode out today, July 6th. So anyway, it's good. I learned a lot. <laughs> Thanks. I got some fun for this podcast. All the podcasts are the same now. <laughs> it was the first podcast where I was a guest with a comedian. I mean, you know, not counting Holly, of course here, but, um, <laughs> that made it a very interesting discussion. I did not listen to the podcast. So uh, I don't think you will. Something tells me you're not going to. <laughs> no, I won't. Shocking. You know what I okay. do want now? Jersey Mike's. <laughs> it's a good sandwich. Jersey Mike's is a darn good sandwich. Well, so you know what I always think is I think that Subway lost a lot of footing to Wawa. Because I think that Wawa has really, though it's not something we talk about often, I think Wawa has really come up in the areas where on the East Coast, I think Wawa has come up more than it used to in terms of sandwiches. And I think that Subway lost a lot of ground on the East Coast to Wawa because that's all you hear about. 
I hear about Wawa all the time. I hear about Jersey Mike's all the time. And Subway fell out of favor with people because they had that sandwich bread debacle. They had, they're not necessarily like the most welcoming stores. Like they, it's, it's very hard to like go to, I used to love Subway. I used to go there every day after school, used to get a triple meat sandwich with hot peppers and sauce. Before you were a vegetarian. You were a vegetarian? <laughs> yeah, but I used to go in like elementary school. That was like my, I'd walk over from the school and that was, that was where I went. Okay. And then I became vegetarian after eating triple meat sandwiches every day. There's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'd become a vegetarian after that too. Gosh. So like I would, but I haven't been to a subway in like 15, 20 years. Honestly, Holly, that doesn't surprise anybody. Been to a lot of Wawa's. You said. Uh, I've never been yes. to a Wawa. I was going to say, you, just a t quick note on the Wawa comment. Uh, I, I, you're not wrong, but, you know, remember sort of New York perspective, New York perspective, East Coast perspective. But in other communities, it's other things, right? Um, Sheets is another one, another convenience store that um, certainly in the South and Midwest, it's a um, place that people will go for sandwiches. Um, just, yeah, I mean, look, a sandwich is one of the you know, basic fundamentals of food service. I mean, that is, I don't want to call it easy, but that's, you know, it's, it's low food cost, low prep, um, kind of items. So they're everywhere. There are so many sandwich places and not to, you mentioned just the, the mom and pops everywhere. So when you have that many choices, um, someone like Subway has to fight to stay top of mind. Um, as I mentioned on that other podcast, I'll mention here, I think my primary use case for Subway is road trips. Because when you're driving on the highway, you know, travel plazas have them all over the place or gas stations. I mean, they're attached to gas stations um, and they'll continue that, that continues to be an opportunity for them. But you have to imagine that those travel plazas and other communities on the highways across the country will continue to look for some of these better sandwich options. So um, anyway, it's, it's fascinating to watch Subway um do all this out of necessity because it's just like this is the position they're in mm -hmm. well and i wonder if this is gonna impact the sale i mean it's already been evaluated at a certain price we are hearing private equity companies searching for it not really anybody else we're not hearing a, a yummer and inspire want to pick them up um even though i thought that would be a good option i think they could turn it around very well but not my job um <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, it's amazing. Believe it or not, I don't have $10 billion to just throw around at Subway. Well, that a lot of companies do. I want to say, like, yes, a lot of this has to do with wanting to position themselves well for a sale in a bright future. But also, this transformation has, I mean, officially been happening for a couple years now. And like I said before, unofficially has been happening since probably 2018, 2019. And so I'm sure even then it was in the back of their minds of like, let's turn this thing around and then sell it um, or whatever options they were considering at that time. Um, but now I think because they said what at the beginning of this year that they were looking for a buyer, I don't know, time is not real. Um, but so like I, when they made that announcement, this phase was already fully in the works on their end. Um, so I think both things are happening simultaneously and they certainly have to do with each other, but they're also like kind of two different subway stories that are overlapping, I think more than, anyway.
<laughs> they're not parallel lines, but they're not fully one line. <laughs> they're like Manhattan subways. It's like the B and the D and the F and the M. They're kind of the same line. A metaphor that all of our listeners definitely understand. Already including lost Sam. <laughs> Already <laughs> lost. You had a big car talk last week that we were just lost on. Oh, you I was comparing Chipotle and Taco Bell. And your Hondas. And hey, Holly. What do you think our audience understands better, a car metaphor or a subway metaphor? I think it's 50-50. I <laughs> passionately disagree. <laughs> passionately. Passionately. That's a strong word. Anyway. Anyway, uh, let's turn it over to my interview with Spike Mendelson, co-founder of Plant Burger. Um, we talked about some really interesting things. I'm a user of Plant Burger, a customer of Plant Burger even though I eat meat. Um, Spike himself is a flexitarian, so kind of building on our conversation today. Um, did not ask her about cell-cultivated meat, but I'd be curious to hear his thoughts. Um, anyways, here's my interview. But before I turn it over to that, I will thank you guys for joining me. Texas Pete is taking its flavor on the road with convenient, easy-to-enjoy portion control packets. Whether it's a Texas Pete dip cup or sauce packet, your customers will be able to enjoy bold flavor for a better on-the-go dining experience. Anywhere, anytime. Ask your broker for the number one portion control hot sauce or visit TexasPeteFoodService.com for more information. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Holly. All right. So, Spike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you have a really exciting new opening. Uh, about a week ago, you opened up your latest plant burger in Bryant Park. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, yeah, super stoked. I mean, we are, uh, it's our third location in, in New York City, and uh, we opened up in, on 14th, uh, uh, 14th Street and then um, and then uh, Nomad. And now we couldn't be happier to be in Bryant Park. I feel like it's going to be a flagship store of ours. It, the walk-by traffic is amazing. So uh, we can't wait to serve that community. Well, and for our viewers you are in your test kitchen right now your r&d kitchen can you tell me a little bit about what that's like being in a in an r&d kitchen for a plant-based concept that's right this is the r&d kitchen everybody just to let whoever's <laughs> tuning in um and you know like listen this is actually why i got into the space uh you know like we had just chatted a little bit before i'm, I'm a flexitarian uh by nature that basically means i eat everything but i'm very conscious about uh, you know, uh, for some of my diet consuming vegetarian and even vegan, vegan items. So, um, and I was introduced, I'm a burger guy. I have a burger restaurant called Good Stuff Eating with my family. We opened up about 15 years ago. I won all sorts of burger contests, this and that. And uh, I met Seth on a panel for, on GW. We were talking about food policy. We're both really passionate about uh, food policy. And I just got done lobbying on behalf of uh, the, uh, the farm bill actually a couple of days ago. Um, but he had uh, snuck, we were on the panel and he had snuck at, uh, beyond meat burgers and honest tea actually at the time in the cooler underneath my seat and said, Hey, I heard you're like the burger King. And like, why don't you, tr tr you know, take these home? And I kind of scoffed at it a little bit. I was like, okay, here, here we go. You know? Uh, but I took them home. He didn't know that, uh, Seth didn't, uh, know that my wife was vegan vegetarian and I took him home and I, I fired up the grill and, and I, I wasn't really, I was doubting the whole process, but, but, um, I cooked them up. And, uh, and, you know, that's what they say, your, your least expectations sometimes are your biggest surprises. And, and I was just surprised that it wasn't perfect. Like, I'll tell you that, like the first iteration wasn't perfect, but I, I saw the vision and 
the texture and it had been the best plant-based burger I had ever tasted on the market. And my wife was super happy and, 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 and excited. I saw her excitement as a vegan vegetarian and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, there's gotta be, there's something here. And, and I reached back out to Seth and, and long story short, um, you know, we've been in business together now for about six years, Seth and I, we have, we run two companies and, uh, plant burger is a joy. It's really kind of what started, started us off. Uh, but to get to innovation, like you said, it's part of why I love the space is about all the innovation ahead in the space. And, and, uh, you know, I've been a chef for a long time. I've seen pretty much everything. Um, some things I've enjoyed about the industry, some things I haven't like the molecular gastronomy. It wasn't really my thing. Um, but this new ushering of plant-based movement and incorporating more plants in your foods in general, I can get behind because one, uh, I, you know, I love doing the food policy and, and, and staying very, you know, uh, you know, focused on that, that plants can come in and really help health, right. And diabetes and all these things. So, so, and, and getting to kids. So I, I love that. And then plant burger just like highlights that, you know, it takes your, your advocacy that you're doing, which is usually in government to push policy, which is really hard to do. And you kind of take it into matter into your own hands. And as an entrepreneur, if you can put something in front of people that you're so proud of, uh, like a plant burger that is better for the planet and better for you and serve the masses, then you're really having effective change as an entrepreneur. Right. And innovation in the space is, is the best. Like we, um, we just launched the uh, a plant-based crab cake on our menu, which is amazing. We have the fish, uh, the, we, we call it the Save the Bay Filet, but it's the fish, the filet of fish from McDonald's, right? But ours is better. It not only tastes better, has better texture, but it's better for the planet, right? So if you could come in and fill the void, right? And don't, don't disrupt, uh, fill like the fast food void, but not disrupt the eating occasion, the textures, the flavor, and you, if you can keep all that the same and be, just be 100% plant-based, like why wouldn't you make that switch to your point, right? It's just like, it's a, it, it makes sense. So, and I'm looking forward to my, you know, I'm looking forward to the innovation even more. We just, again, we, we also just took on um, this new incredible chicken patty from a company made from Meaty uh, that is my, based out of mycelium. And we actually created our own chicken burger a, a while ago uh, with mycelium as well. And you know, we have a, a McRib that's going to hit the market soon. I don't want to talk too much about it, but but um, innovation is really a, a key part of what makes a successful plant burger. Um, and yeah, we, we're always innovating. So It's interesting because you think about, I was a vegetarian for 10 years and a vegan for five. I eat everything now. I'm a flexitarian like you. But um, when I was when I wasn't eating meat, the options were very, very limited. And so you think about how far it's come in the past five, six years. And then you think about the runway that's ahead of it. And how much we can innovate in the next five, six years, in the next 10 years. I mean, meaty is a great example of that. Beyond Meat was a great example of that five years ago. I mean, you yeah. think about all these things that are coming about. And it's great to hear that you guys are introducing crab cakes. Like, that's something that, who would have thought that you could have a plant-based yeah. crab cake? That's just oh, something that oh blows my mind. I, I, well, funny that you say that, because the company is called Mind Blown. <laughs> right? And, and, it's, and you'll love this. It's two women entrepreneurs. It's a mother and daughter. They're from the Chesapeake Bay. They've been in the business for 35 years, seafood business, for 35 years, crab specifically. They saw what was happening to their own supply. They saw the inflation of crab. They saw all that, like the writing was on the wall that they were just going to, that business was going to die. So they internally took matters into their own hands and they went full on plant-based seafood company. They've produced plant-based shrimp, scallops, um, their new 
go to market right now is this crab cake that we're serving. And it is absolutely mind blowing delicious. Right. And, you know, we do a little bit of our own innovation at Plant Burger, but also like we're, we're, we're that brand that is inviting all the other brands to come be part of ours. Right. Because we're the professional chefs. Right. And, that that is at the core of our business. We're we're a group of chefs that make up the company, right? Amongst others, but really at the core, we're we're a group of chefs that love flavor, no food. We're not vegan or vegetarian, so that kind of works to our advantage in this space because we know what it should taste like, uh, and where we you know where we want to be, and um, you know, and, and if again, if I like I say to everyone, if you could lead with deliciousness and not sacrifice on indulgence and that eating occasion. And it's an easy swap for people it, it, uh, as it should be. So yeah, just super exciting moment. And, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see where it's all going to go. Well, so I was saying before we got on here, I'll say it for the record now. Yes. I'm a plant burger customer. Uh, I love yes. cheeseburger. I go there, yes. I get it delivered to me pretty frequently. But what you've said before is that it's the indulgence without needing the nap afterwards is plant right. burger. Yeah, well, it's so funny you say that because I was just at the opening of Bryant Park and one of the guys uh, that had ordered and eaten a burger, I had watched him eat it and it was kind of, he was like, huh. he was kind of like, I was watching him have like this discovery of like, well, this is not that bad. This is better than I thought. <laughs> oh, wow, you know? And then like, he kind of hung out and at the end he came to me, he's like, you know, it's like, I was doubting this, but this is absolutely, and he said a bad word, he's like, effing delicious. And, and, he, and he pointed at his stomach, he's like, I don't feel heavy. I don't feel the burger. I can like almost have another. And that's, that is to us like one of the, the you know, when you eat those animal pro, you know, uh, uh, proteins, right. And especially mass farming and they're pumped up or whatever it is, that stuff, man, really sits in your gut. Those things are high, hard to digest. Right. And, and they, they actually make you opposite sluggish. They don't improve your energy. And, and then, you know, go a little further and ends up, diabetes and and you know like so it's like this the this cascading thing uh um thing of bad effects right um and again i'm a guy that's all about moderation i'll still eat a, a nice you know animal protein burger at times but i know where they're sourcing their meat from right it's a restaurant that i trust um and that's the way it should be right you should you should be able to go indulge in the foods that you like and know exactly what you're indulging in and and it, it should come from from a place and suppliers are being supported properly to grow food properly right they're either getting subsidized or whatever it, it, that's we need to get back to that we were there now we're here and now we're starting to see shifts to go back over there and, and that's not only you know here this that's a that that is globally you're seeing that on a global scale um so well yeah. you mentioned earlier that you're sort of being the change you want to see, you know, to quote a yes. very used quote, um, but that you're you're yeah. not only helping with the policy, but you're also doing it in your own restaurant. You're showing that you can eat yes. well and you can eat healthy and you can eat plant based, but it doesn't need to be an everyday thing because you have you have good stuff eater. You have it. You have a meat based. Yes. So you're doing exactly. a little bit of everything. Yeah. Do, you know, I'm a guy of a balance. I also like to stay busy and and, and, and continue innovating. But you, you said it. I mean, like, you know, our slogan here is eat the change you wish to see in the world at, at Plant Burger. That was our slogan. We love that slogan so much that we spun it off and opened up a CPG company, right? Eat the change. Uh, that's a snack company that fights climate change through, um, you know, uh, creating climate-friendly snacks, right? Uh, and 
to your to your point, what you just said about doing the advocacy and the policy stuff, it's important. But you have to try to do it on your entrepreneurship because that's actually where you have the fastest, most effective change, um, and you can deal with people. You know, peer to peer change. Um, you know, and and there's a great example for this. So like, uh, and it's not plant burger, uh, but it's just iced tea, right? So I we serve just SCA plant burger first of all, so it's kind of fits in. But um, when I first did my, I do these chef advocacy tour trips where I um, onboard chefs. Uh, equip them with the knowledge to, and to realize that they have actually a very strong voice when it comes to food policy and and change, because uh, they're at the root of it, right? They accept food, they cook food, they serve food, they they rely on food to make a living, you know. So they understand it. They're a trusted voice. And so we went on a trip to Mozambique about five six years ago, and our purpose of our trip was to engage in women and girls and smallhold farmers, right? Uh, give out grants and also participate in uh, education where we could teach them how to sustain their global seafood export. Mozambique on the coast has an amazing global seafood export, but it was at risk of being completely uh, gone, right? And so we went down there, we met the village, you know, everyone in the village, and we taught them how to like farm sustainably, let this replenish, right? The other thing that we said is like, hey, invest in women of the household, right? Because they're the ones actually making the change. They're the ones that are doing the hard work. And often they don't have a seat at the table and they're last to eat. So it's like, well, what are we doing here? So so that was such a jaw dropping, like an amazing experience for me. So fast forward seven years later, you know, and I'm looking to, you know, we have this tea business and I found out that, you know, this the largest organic tea garden in the world, which is a new origin, is in Mozambique. It just got revived seven years ago. You know, before that, the Civil War is there. It was, it, it, you know, and and now for our company, Just Ice Tea, we resource most of our tea from this new origin of tea from Mozambique. And it's a fair trade tea, which means, I'm sure you know that, but just, you know, there's certain commitments that go, certain percentages go pump back into the culture in the village. Mozambique is one of the poorest countries. So you have to do it from both prongs it's not enough just to go and, and do policy and, and like listen i'm lucky to be in the business that i'm in and, and and this is kind of my thing but there's also like small ways where you could start to 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 do things take matters into your own hands in, in every business really so now you've listed about a hundred things that you're doing is there anything yes. else on the agenda anything else on the agenda so well, let's <laughs> see we have plant 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 burgers 14th opening it's fantastic uh, we are uh, doing really well with Just Ice Tea. It's killing the market. As you know, the story is, is uh, Honest Tea, but revived. Uh, and um, yeah, we're doing snacks, doing policy. You know, stuff is going. Our family restaurant group is doing well. We're, we're still, we just opened Santa Rosa Taqueria on Capitol Hill. And, and um, all those, those those restaurants aren't vegetarian or, or vegan at all. They, they, they have uh, options for all those people there. Um, so yeah, things are going well. I mean, I, I'm just looking forward to uh, you know, in this it's it's tea tea drinking uh, months right now. So the focus is T T T and just go crazy. Uh, and uh, and then you know, obviously plant burger is so exciting. You know, I'm gonna go back up there next week, check on the store again. Um, you know, we're just we're just trying to push things along, make the difference. Easy train ride, nice easy train ride for you. I know a lot of chefs say that they want to be close to a lot of their businesses to check on things. And so nice for you to stay on the yeah. East Coast. Yeah, yeah, we're, well, that's it. We we, we're, we haven't jumped West Coast, like a lot of brands try to take on both. And we're like, you know, 
It's like we just got out of a pandemic that there's inflation, the job market's crazy. We have to focus. We have to stay on the East Coast, do it right. We have an incredible team. It's not just me. We have an incredible uh, CEO, Ben Kaplan, which is a good friend. One of my best friends is the executive chef of Plant Burger. So, you know, we we mimic each other's style and um, great, great management team. And, and um, you know, we uh, just got to push it along. You know, the, the plant-based movements are, you know, it's up and down. There's a lot of people betting against this movement, right? So you're starting to see a lot of a lot of money go uh, towards uh, influencers to to, to kind of uh, you know devalue the propositions that we're doing. And and uh, so we just gotta stick to what what we're doing. Uh, first and foremost, just make it delicious. Don't skip that step. All right. If you know, if anyone's thinking about getting into business and, and the, don't skip the step of making it absolutely delicious, because that's the only thing that we can actually, um, you know, that's our proof point to people. You know, we did this plant believe it challenge at, at Plant Burger for a while, and it still goes on every second. It's where like a customer will come buy a bunch of burgers, take them back home and feed them to the friends that don't know that they're plant based. And they'll sit there and they'll just like chow down. And then there'll be like this big reveal where the friend's like, hey. You guys are eating <laughs> vegan and everyone's like, what? No, you know, like, and you know, they, they, they won't be able to believe what they, what they just ate and the flavor. And that always makes us feel really good because that's how we want to be judged. You know, we want to be just judged on how did you enjoy our burger? Not that it's plant-based, not that it's meat-free. It, it's, we just want you to enjoy it. So. Well, and the proof is in the pudding because you've grown over the past three years while people have been shrinking. You are opening new yeah. locations and you have been for the past three years. So I mean, yes. if anything, you're proving that plant-based can be a new category, that it can be a sustainable category. So kudos to you. Thank you. We, we appreciate that, Holly. It's it's uh we're trying to we're trying to prove those those proof points for sure. So and Brian Park's gonna be a big uh a big part of that messaging. It's it's gonna by far be probably our busiest location just based on on its demographic. So well, congratulations to you. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Spike. Thank you, Holly.